respect to our trade, we've been watching gold. And for those of you been on, or maybe this is your first time or checking in on the podcast, uh, maybe late, but one of the values or benefits in watching this live is you get the live info on uh, what's happening in the market, specifically with gold uh, this time. So what I wanna go through with you is our trade from last week. Uh, actually, let me stop the share on here. Let me show you what the what our setup looked like last week so that you guys can compare it to this week's. And what I've got here is, this is where the market was sitting last week with gold. And you can see the price uh, respectfully reflected on the right-hand side, right about 1927 or $1,900, $1,900 roughly dollars per one gold ounce of, uh, or one ounce of gold, excuse me. And you can see, We've put in our support and resistance lines. We've got both our long-term and short-term channels that have kind of come to a pinch here. This is a daily chart. And you can see that the pressure has been mounting. And if you were to compare this, so what we said yet uh, last week, Friday, so this was an, an overview we did Friday last week. We said, look, the pressure is going to mount. And once there's a breakout, it's very likely that this trend is going to be over. And we had something really unique happened this week and we're going to show you that let me bring the charts up so take a really close look at this because i'm going to transfer to today there's been seven candles since the last time that we've been on and i want you to see the difference and what do you do with this from a technical analysis how do you make sense of what's going on today so here is today i'm going to blow up the chart on today also <clears throat> but this is today and we're just going to really zoom in on this. You can see that we had last Friday was this green candle, this like really big one uh, towards the end. We're going to zoom in just a hair so we can see this better. But this last green candle here <clears throat> was actually the candle that we were dealing with uh, last week. And since then, we're back to here. So we're up into today, which is... Uh, this Friday, and you can see that we actually had this breakout. So right around 1930 to 1947, you can see that we had this nice upward breakout uh, to the upside. And a lot of you may have decided to take a trade. And which way would you have taken it? You would have taken it towards the long side. And you can see that this support that we have here would have reiterated that uh, trade. And if you guys remember last week, my position uh, was long versus short based on us being in a long-term trend. And let me sh share what I mean by that. So this is our trend long-term. And you can see, just kind of blow this up for you guys. You can see that long-term, we're definitely in a, a more solid long-term trend uh, with our support at this point and at this point and then the bouncing off that we've had recently but more short term we've been in this short term trend and frankly with all the stuff going on with inflation and the dollar i just don't see how you can't be bullish on gold right now especially as we head into a recession uh although i will say you know this is not foolproof if you go back to 2008 on gold uh when we had the last recession one of the things that was really unique about that recession is gold prices actually dropped first. They dropped first, and then they took this 
incredible like 40%, 50% gains uh, that happened thereafter. And I would say that this is likely that same pullback that we had during the 2008 period. And then once the recession finally locked in, everyone knew this is what was happening. The market started to tank. People started taking their money out of stocks and started throwing them into secure assets, specifically uh, gold, as fear, fear dumb really started taking over the market. Well, here we are today. And I'm not saying this is going to happen today or tomorrow or even this week. But what we're dealing with is a strong price uh, inside of this channel. And it, this price in that day came out. We kind of had this uh, wick. It's hard when I hold it over, but this candle right here. We had this wick come out of that support level, a breakout, so to speak. And some people would have taken that trade. In fact, I may even have had positioned in uh, had I been watching it at that time, at that point uh, in the day and you know made the trade. But what's unique is how quickly it came back in to that uh, this, this funnel that's happened. And because of that, it gives us another opportunity. It actually kind of puts us right back where we were last Friday. And the odds of us staying in this, in fact, I'm not going to adjust really anything in terms of my lines, my support and resistance. I'm kind of leaving everything where it is. But what's going to happen is next week, there's going to be a breakout. This trend is going to end next week, and we're going to have to redraw new technicals next week. So what does this mean as far as a trade? Uh, I still like the long side. This is obviously something that I... If I had gone long, I would I would still feel strong about that position. Uh, entries and exits. So if you're if this does break out towards the long side, guys, you're going if you're going to be scalping, taking like a small exit, you're going to want your exit below this 16 uh, or the 67 price. So just ignore the 19. I'm going to be talking about the last two decimals, but you're going to want your exit below uh, this 67. And you're going to want your stop loss below this 1882 because you're going to want to allow it to breathe. Now, if you're going to want to go big and you want some much longer uh, targets, like say you want to do this and you don't want to check it every week. This is something you want to do for like maybe a six month hold, maybe even a year hold. Then you're going to have to start going back in time and looking at your charts. And that's where you start looking at these other levels where I would actually be targeting uh, prices above the 2000 level for sure. Like I would be targeting uh, maybe a take profit somewhere in here. And then you're going to want to look, if you're doing like a one-to-one -one ratio, you're going to want to put your stop loss somewhere down here below one of these, either the soft support that's here or the strong support at the 1800. So feel free to take a screenshot of this, guys. These are really strong support and resistance levels that I've gone back and found. And it's really uh, helping you take advantage of like, what should my take profit be? What should my stop loss be based on this? Now, I like ratios that are like two to one, where my take profit is two compared to a stop loss of one or a three compared to a stop loss of one, specifically when I'm long or bullish on something that I already believe in the underlying uh, value or assets. So you don't have to give it that much breath if you really believe that what we're in and what's going to be happening is bullish, which I happen to believe. And so you could actually place your stops uh, below 1874 and then create take profits well above the 2000 price range. And so I would say you've got plenty of time to set this trade up as we're kind of floating in this 
I call them safe zones. We're like right in the middle of a safe zone, meaning we're not close to support. We're not close to resistance. If we had the price coming down close to this support level, we'd be talking very differently about this. If it was coming close to this resistance level, we'd be talking very different about this. But because we're kind of in this funnel, there's all this pressure mounting up. And the, frankly, the price is really struggling right now to stay inside of this uh, price. So I would imagine with some announcements, some economic news next week, there will be a breakout to the up or downside. Mentally, fundamentally, I'm long. I'm very bullish on gold right now. Uh, as the dollar, which we're going to talk about, by the way, with Ray Dalio's sentiment, we're going to talk about why I'm strong on the dollar with all of this massive redistribution, probably the greatest wealth transfer that you and I have ever lived through is happening right now. And in the kickoff of that wealth transfer started in 2020. And we're talking uh, $73 trillion in wealth transfer that's going to be occurring in my lifetime and likely your lifetime, depending on how old you are. Uh, and it's the greatest wealth transfer that we've ever seen in this nation. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit, which also creates a very strong argument again for gold. So there it is, guys. There's our gold analysis. We'll come back and look at this at the end and see if there's anything different that we'd want to do. Maybe even break it down into a micro. I think it'd be fun to do this on more of a micro scale. Like, hey, how would I scalp this? You know, if I'm wanting to trade this just for Friday or holding it over the weekend into Monday, like how would I do a shorter trade? We can bring it into like a 30 minute chart and I can kind of show you how to break that down. Um, having said that, next week, I've got a special guest. I'm bringing in a female co-host that I'm excited to introduce. Some of you know who uh, Nina is, but I'm bringing in a gal that I've worked with, done some trading with in the past, and she's coming in as a co-host next Friday. We're going to kind of play with it, experiment with it, uh, see how it goes. But I'm excited to have Nina Jorgensen on with us next week. So this next week, it's going to be more interactive, and she's going to be playing the... Uh, how would I say this? She's going to be playing your, she's going to be your advocate, right? And what I mean by that is I have this tendency to go off on tangents that uh, may seem or may be a little hard to, to, to break down conceptually and to get like real life, real world applications to make it uh, applicable to like your life and what's going on. And so she's going to be your advocate on this podcast, fighting for you in terms of like questions and really getting the discovery behind what's going on and what how to like break down my 10,000 hours in trading and, and being in the markets to really have you guys get the benefit of that for showing up on Fridays. All right. So having said that, let's move on to our next piece. So as we move on, I told you guys we're going to do a psychology piece every single Friday. And I was actually, I was being coached by Jay Abraham. He's my personal uh, coach, works really close with Tony Robbins. And uh, Jay, in this meeting I had, kind of this philosophical meeting that we ended up having down in uh, LA a couple of weeks ago, I had this like epiphany that I got, a, I really got away from something that was really valuable for my listeners, my audience, specifically traders that I'd worked with over the last 10 years. And that's the psychology. And the reason is, is if I don't, it doesn't matter what tool I give you. It doesn't matter what book you read. It doesn't matter what school you went to. But if your psychology is not right, what you'll do with that tool will be the same thing you do with every tool. What you do with that information will be the same thing you do with all information. 
And so we really have to start to make shifts in our uh, thinking and our beliefs to really have the world around us start to shift and change. And so I'm going to bring in my book. Uh, I just got the title approved, by the way, this week. So exciting part of my journey. Uh, my book is getting published April 9th. So that you're going to get to kind of see and get a lot of the uh, insider information on this book as it's about to come out. But I'm going to give you a little taste of what this book's about uh, after having coached over 30 individuals, uh, executives in their companies. And I got some really great insight on like this stickiness that keeps people from actually getting the thing they want. And today we're going to talk about this uh, principle that I've broken down called levels of power. And let me bring this up. I've got a great visual for you guys so you can see this. But the levels of power, um, or what I call powerful goals, are broken down into five segment, uh, segments. And so typically, and I'm not, I don't have time to do both today, but typically what we do when I'm working with a client or I'm working with someone who's a day trader or they're trying to shift something in their financial uh, realm We'll typically do an integrity intervention, which maybe next Friday we'll play with that. Or, But if you stay tuned, I'll eventually go through my integrity intervention uh, illustration and concept. But typically we'll find the problem. So as, as we're going through this, it would be helpful for you to get on the court. And when I say get on the court, there's the people in the stands and there's the people in the court, right? And when I'm watching basketball, the people who are actually making a difference on the score are the people on the court, not the people in the stands rooting the people on the court on, right? So you got to get on the court if you really want this principle to dive in or like to really uh, shift something for you mentally that would benefit you in the future. So get on the court with me and find a pain point for you financially, like something that's not working. It could be uh, maybe you're a trader a uh, long-term investor, someone who's putting money into the market. And this year just hasn't been great. Like you, you haven't been getting the returns that you want. And so you could say in a way, we're just identifying the problem. And my integrity intervention work, which we really are calling it a cleanup conversation where we are restoring integrity to something that's wanted. Because really when there's any problem, there's actually a lack of integrity. And so find that problem, find that pain point, something financially that's just not working for you. It could be debt, it could be time, it could be your trades or investments aren't working or you're not getting the return that you would like. And whatever it is, I want you to follow me on this. Now, what I found is I worked with all these executives day after day, hour after hour, week after week, is I found that they would actually do things about their problem. But we're actually programmed, like my book's title, we're actually blinded by our strengths. And we typically pick, if you were to look at these five things on the sheet, we typically pick the thing that we're the best at, right? So if you're, if you're an extrovert, uh, for example, you might be someone who really goes out and shares your problem with people really well. So you'd be on number four. Or you might be someone who's an introvert, or according to my book, a dreamer, and you might be someone who just really thinks about it a lot, right? You don't actually get it out into the world. But these are actually broken down by hierarchy, meaning the lower you go, exponentially the power you have to resolve the issue or the problem. And so the least impactful thing you could do if you have this problem, whatever it is, 
you know, and it'd be wise maybe to write this down and do this exercise with me. But whatever the, the problem is that you're dealing with financially, you probably live in here 90% of the time. And that's why number one actually has the least amount of impact. Now it's valuable to be thinking about what you want. It's valuable, like think and grow rich, right? To be think, think, thinking about it, but it's actually not enough. I can't tell you how many people have read that book that are just completely broke. And it's like, wait, what's going on? You, you know how to do this. You know how to attract wealth. You know how to change your thinking about wealth. Why don't you have wealth? And it's because you just keep living here. And so one is valuable. There is you know, so many cubics of power towards getting what you want inside of thinking about whatever your problem is, but it's usually not enough. And so the second level, actually exponentially, not singularly, not linear, but exponentially helps solve your problem by writing it down. So taking whatever your problem is, and guys, if you want to do this with me, you, I mean, you're here, get out your phone, get out you know, a piece of paper, write the problem down, just write it on the top of a piece of paper, write it in your notes, put it somewhere, and just writing it down actually exponentially increases your ability to attack the problem. Now, if you want to go a little bit further on that piece of paper in writing it down, do this exercise with me and think of some symbols. I call it create symbols, but it is, it's inclusive of reminders, symbols plus and or reminders. So whatever this problem is, what kind of symbols am I using after today that's going to remind me about this problem? What do I do and have around me that's reinforcing this change in behavior, this change in habits, that's frankly going to make a difference, right? Some people, and uh, it was over two years ago, I was doing this massive uh, vacation. We were going to go down to Puerto Vallarta. I was bringing all my performers, right? And I could tell that some of these guys were really going to struggle, that all they were going to do, you know, around their wealth, in this case, around building their business, were going to be the first two things. They might, they're going to think about it a lot. They might write it down on their whiteboard somewhere like, my goal is 30 or, you know, $30,000, $50,000 this month or whatever, right? They'd write this down. But what they wouldn't do is this. And so I actually went out of my way. I don't know if I have one laying around, but I'm a big rock crystal stone guy just because I like it. You know, I'm not really into like the metaphysical side of it or, you know, the, and that's fine. For those of you who are, that's fine. It's just, that's not my thing. I, I'm just really into the stones. I got people this, uh, it's called Moldavite. Because symbolically, even though I'm not, you know, uh, really into the metaphysical side, Moldavite is a is a wealth attractor. It's it's known for its wealth properties. And whether or not like wearing it or having it actually does that, who knows? But the symbol of it, I explained on this training, and then I sent them to everyone. You know, and these are these are like a hundred dollar pieces of Moldavite that they had on a necklace. And the symbol alone, in fact, I've watched the people who wore it versus the ones who didn't and their performance. And just having that reminder, something that they saw on themselves or people would ask me, what is that? It's like, it was a reminder for them to get back on their goal, get back on track, to get that habit uh, really ingrained and really going. Now, symbols, reminders are great. They're kind of an internal thing that we do. Sometimes we get some out external feedback, but getting help from another person, sharing your goal, sharing your whatever it is you're up to uh, is exponentially even 
greater than creating the symbols reminders, which is exponentially greater than writing it down, which is exponentially greater than just thinking about it. And so when we share things with others, like how many, like I've got, I've got a large audience on here today. How many people know that you are here for a specific reason in your life? Like count on your hands, how many people, how many people know that like you're doing this trading thing, that you are an investor, that you're uh, taking classes and education on how to trade. How many people in your world know about that? And how many people are in your world? And what percentage would you say know that? And I would guess just based on working with executives, guys who are really into this, guys who are like, they've got a lot on the line, right? And they don't have a, a paycheck that's coming in to kind of pad their, their lifestyle. These guys, even I would say about 10% of their people, their world even knew what they were up to, 10%. And we have this weird thing when we come up with all kinds of excuses. How many of you guys have really great ideas, right? Like a great invention or a way to innovate something or this new technology and you hoard it and you have this scarcity mindset. I shouldn't share this because then someone's going to steal it. I shouldn't do this, blah, blah. And I'm just telling you that the greatest performers, the people who actually take product to performance, share it regardless. They don't worry about the competition. They don't worry about what's good because they are in it. And that type of being in it is a winning attitude. It's a winning formula towards, uh, towards success. So don't get trapped in like these little beliefs. And that was just one of them, by the way, there's a lot, but don't get trapped in these little beliefs of not to share what you're up to and share abundantly and then get the feedback. And you'll be shocked at the people you go to lunch with, the people you have conversations with, you know, stop talking about the weather. The weather's not important. This is important. Your goal is important. Start sharing people. Your People love to give advice and they, everyone has a unique perspective. And as you see, you can kind of take those little gems. The next thing you know, you're building up and you'll, you'll find resources. You'll find answers, solutions, blind spots that you never thought you had just sharing with other people what your goals are. And then last but not least, getting a coach, this encapsulates accountability. So however you do it, whether it's a, someone you pay, and by the way, I, I'm a huge fan of paid coaching. I pay over $100,000 a year in coaching to be held accountable to my goals, to be held accountable to the things that matter to me, and really have someone say, you are off track, Matt. This is what you came in here for. Originally, we met and you said, these were your goals. Why are you doing this? What's going on with your time around this? What, what's happened? Are we reassessing our goals? It's like, oh, no, no, you're right. I don't. No, but a goal, a coach can be someone you pay. It can be, I wouldn't, I would not subscribe your romantic partners into this, by the way. I've worked with, again, dozens of executives. It typically doesn't work. And unless you want to have a very platonic, uh, a very, uh, maybe platonic is not the right word, but a very non-romantic relationship with your partner, uh, I would not involve them in this. However, get a coach, get a friend, a family member, someone else who maybe is doing the same thing and you meet once a week just to hold each other to your goals. Hey, how, how's progress? What are things you can measure that improve this week compared to last week? And watch how fast exponentially it grows compared to just sharing it and getting ideas from other people. All right, so there's my little psychology piece uh, for this Friday. Really excited about the book coming out. There's going to be a tour. I'm going to be doing like 
quizzes, classes, a bunch of fun stuff that's coupled with this uh, text. And uh, yeah, excited to have you guys kind of watching me on this journey. So going into news this week, I this was probably one of the most exciting videos and pieces of content that I got. Ron Barron got on CNBC and he's done this before, like a year ago in the past. He runs his own fund. Obviously, he's going to talk about the things that he's directing all of the money that he's got in there. And more importantly, why? And CNBC brought him on because he has a very unique perspective about Tesla. And I'm going to share that little clip with you and then give you my kind of two cents on this. Obviously, guys, you heard this already at the beginning of the webinar. This is not financial advice. You guys need to do your own homework. I can't emphasize that enough enough, and more than enough times. But this is real. This is what's happening. And it, it's really something to be considering about what's going on with Tesla. But more importantly, everyone's like, oh, yeah, EV market, uh, all this stuff going on. You know, Tesla's the dominant car. Everyone understands that. But what Ron has to say about Tesla opens up a whole new world of opportunity that even I wasn't thinking about that has me rethinking, like, should I be going hard in my portfolio on Tesla right now? So here's uh, Ron Barron on that. Let's bring this up. Nope, don't want to do that. There we go. So this is a quick uh, four minute, I think this is a four minute, yeah, almost a five minute clip. And Ron Barron's gonna uh, be going over a, a vast amount of data. And I'll break it down to you. I might even pause it in between around Tesla that goes beyond just the cars. It goes beyond just the typical way that we see Tesla as a car manufacturer. So here's Ron Barron on that. But, uh, but I think the more interesting things right now are Tesla and SpaceX. And, and uh, Tesla, so we've been an investor in, the Tesla is now at a similar stage where it was in 2014, 2015, uh, when I was investing, 16, and they were doing 40,000 cars a year. They're now doing a million eights on the way to 20 million. And uh, they've been growing 50% a year, and uh, this year they'll probably be up, uh, you know, 25, 30%. Next year, same, about the same. But there's a new uh, car coming. 25, 30% revenue? Uh, no, units. Or units. Okay. units. And, uh, and then they got this, uh, the battery business, which is $6 billion a year. And that's going to be up uh, triple over the next three years. And that's going to go up 30 times. There's been a lot made over the UAW and the potential strike that is facing the big three automakers here. And what's been brought up is they have all of these EVs that they have to deal with. Their cost basis is quite a bit higher than Tesla's. Way higher. So, and and uh, so every time they sell an EV, they sell one fewer gasoline car. And the gasoline car they make money on, and the EVs they lose money on. The, uh, this is important to hear, guys. The three largest car manufacturers that the U.S. buys from that are going into the EV market, they are still currently making no money on their EV market. They're doing it to try to compete with Tesla, but because Tesla is so incredibly ahead of the game, their efficiencies to make these cars, these three companies don't actually like selling EVs because they don't make anything. They don't make any money. They'd rather sell a gas car because there's profit in it. But this whole EV thing is still something they're moving into that they have not made profitable. And so this is the traditional way of looking at Tesla. What we're about to get into is the... The side of Tesla I didn't understand and see. And then after Ron's off, I'm going to 
I'm going to comment on some other things that are happening in the EV market that I think makes Tesla even more exciting. Traditional OEMs are, uh, are troubled right now. And uh, I think ultimately, uh, you know, they're going to make metal. Uh, they're going to make the units. And ultimately, they're going to buy software uh, from Tesla. Tesla is going to be like the uh, like Intel inside of a com Microsoft computer. That's going to be Tesla. So Tesla is going to be uh, everything that makes the car, you know, the, all, the, all, the all the inside is going to be Tesla. That's what's ultimately they're going to be licensed. Are you buying any additional Tesla or SpaceX? Or have you kind of maxed out where you feel comfortable with your fund, which is a diversified fund? Um, in the funds that I manage, I've been maxed out. When we had, uh, when the stock went up 20 times after we bought it, yeah. we sold for clients uh, about a quarter of the shares. I didn't sell a share personally. I committed to the directors of our mutual funds. I only invest in mutual funds normally. Uh, I made an exception in this instance, and I said that I would be, I was the last in, I would last out, and I won't sell a single share for personally. myself until we sell all of our client stock. Uh, and as far as buying more, uh, I would buy more if I could, but I can't. And other guys at our firm are nibbling. They do things like this is a great price. This is, this is when they introduce this Model 2, they're going to have the cost half of what it is right now. Half. And, uh, and they're going to sell the car for, I don't know, maybe a third less than what it is right now. And there's credits. So this is a Toyota almost bankrupted the whole automobile industry 20 years ago. Well, do, do you at the same time think <clears throat> that the big three have their work cut out for them. We're going to have uh, UAW head on today, Sean Fain. And, and what the rank and file are asking for, given the uncertain future of whether Americans ever embrace non-Tesla EVs, I mean, would you think that the, the big three are have their work cut out for them? Would you at least acknowledge that, do you think? I haven't studied uh, the big three uh, you relationships them. with the unions. Uh, I don't own them, although I really like Mary Barra, but I don't know. Would them. you like to compete against Tesla? I would hate to compete against Tesla. So Warren Buffett initially would say, you know, said, you know, 20 years ago, or 15 years ago, he said that, you know, he wouldn't invest in Tesla. And now he says he would hate to compete against Tesla. Mm -hmm. uh, so, 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 so to go on to this, so the Model 2, this is coming within, uh, you know, by 2025. When that comes, that's going to be exactly the same thing as what happened when Tesla introduced the Model S. So you're going to see this tremendous change going on there. And then, as I said before, the software, core competency, Model 2, half price, and then Dojo. So Dojo. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, so I said, what is Dojo? Okay, okay, so here's where we're getting in. So we've heard the argument for Tesla in terms of uh, dominating the EV market on cars, right? We, it's very clear this Model 2 by 2025 is going to dominate. He just said they're going to be able to build it at half the cost, and then they'll lower their margins by a third. So they're actually going to have even larger margins in their car production, where these other three can't even make it profitable yet. And now we're talking about what I think is the real gem. In fact, Probably the largest X multiplier that Tesla can bring to the market is this dojo technology that Ron Barron's going to talk about. So let's let's hear from him, and then I'm going to give you my two cents on this also. So dojo is a training. And what that is, that they have this massive amount of data for all these cars that have been driving around for millions and millions of miles, and, and that keeps growing exponentially. No one has that. They have this data. But to crunch the data, you need compute. And compute is what NVIDIA has. Uh, and NVIDIA has compute a chip which is for everyone to use. They have all these different, uh, you know, device, all these different, uh, you know, opportunities that this company has. What our company has is they're making their own uh, compute 
and they, in 18 months, are going to have more compute than anyone in the world, Tesla. And compute is stuff that's in your basement as opposed to the chip that's in your car. So what they're going to have is they will have so much massive capacity to provide services to cars and to be able to train this data, to train your car That's on right. this data. Right. So what's the competitive advantage is the data, right. and the training is going to be provided by, uh, by this compute, and they're going to have more of it than anyone. Nobody can catch them. Last year, by the way, you read about... All right. So let me tell you why this data is valuable. Like, what's the opportunity that Tesla has with Dojo and where we're going with that? Well... How, how I just want you to consider this. How many extra cars is the U.S. going to be purchasing? And what I mean by that is, you know, there's so many garages. There's such, there's such a, a, there's a certain set population uh, in terms of how many cars are going to be out there. How much do you think the actual car market would flex? Are there going to be more cars in the next five years, less cars? I would say it's going to be generally about the same. And it's not going to be uh, that much different by that uh, larger percent, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. It's just going to depend on the economy based on population. I would say we're probably going to have a little bit less based on kind of the whittling out of the middle class. You could say there's going to be a little bit less over the next five years, but generally speaking, there's going to be the same amount of cars. Well, the EV market is slowly chipping away at traditional gas cars. In fact, many of you may already have an EV sitting in your garage today. Well, Tesla's dominating that market. They're the only ones really making profits doing it. And now they're saying they're going to make even more with Model 2. Well, this dojo thing is the is the industry, I would call it the industry disruptor. It's the technology, the software that will be used when we do self-driving cars that becomes a SaaS model that completely revolutionizes how we uh, move, how we move around. It will be the thing that kills Uber. It will be the thing that kills taxi. It will likely change how you and I get to work, uh, move around from place to place. And what I mean by that is it's very likely that Dojo and the software that Tesla has built over, you know, over a decade, guys, and information. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but there's like over eight cameras in a Tesla and it's examining everything. It's collecting data everywhere. As it drives, it's collecting the data around the streets and how things move and when accidents happen and, and they've got so much data, so much. And the end goal for Tesla is self-driving cars. And why is self-driving cars the end goal? Because then it changes, it changes the model for cars. Now cars become a SaaS model, a software as a service. I know cars as a software, as a service. It's like, wow, we really get, yes, we, in fact, I think Elon wanted to be there already. I think he he thought we would be there already, and we're not. But we will get there. And when that flips, it will be like he said. It'll be like NVIDIA. They will have the software. They will own the technology that anyone who wants to get in and compete to be part of this SaaS model, this self-driving autonomous vehicles going everywhere, picking people up, driving them around, it will be something that every other car manufacturer either A, has to lease, has to use, or they'll have to go out of business or they'll have to come up with their own. And the likelihood that they'll have all the security and safety measures, people won't, there'll probably be compliance 
uh, and regulation that won't allow them to do it because, frankly, they don't, they don't have enough sophisticated data, right? So Tesla is positioned to be the NVIDIA chip, the microchip that basically is in every self-driving car that will be the SaaS model of the future. And then, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. I can give you some speculation. A lot of people think that we'll still, at the beginning phases, we'll still buy Teslas, we'll still buy these cars, these EVs. And then when we're not using them, we'll get paid to have them going out and driving people around. And then you'll just schedule, like, make sure my car is back in my spot uh, in front of my office, you know, 30 minutes before this window so that I can get home. And then if yours is out, then you get a free ride or a comp ride, right, because yours is out to your house. Uh, because of that. And it, it, econo from an economy standpoint, it makes a ton of sense. We would just don't, uh, you'd one, you'd make money owning a car. And two, if you ever needed a ride, you could just leave yours out to go do its own thing. But eventually this market would be dominated. You know, obviously industry would come in and buy fleets and fleets of these cars to be out servicing uh, because there's a lot of potential upside because it, it would ultimately take taxiing to the next level. It would take uh, the well, this already, you know, SaaS type uh, vehicle transportation models to a, a whole new level. And frankly, it'll be safer. It, there'll be less car accidents. There'll be less security uh, issues, and it will be more efficient. In, in other words, it'll be cheaper for you to use this service than it will be even to own your own car, unless you're part of the service that's you know fleeting out the cars. Uh, in general. Now, what gets me excited about this is the X model. If Tesla was just focusing on just making cars and just EVs, as uh, Ron said, we're talking at maybe, you know, if I were to put a number on it, I would guess a 20 to 40% gain in the price of the stock, a, a 20 to 30% gain in like where it's going to be by 2025. But if you add the SaaS model, you're talking 100%, 120% upwards to uh, 200% in gains because now the model is rapidly uh, more adoptable and what Tesla has built now is being leveraged by everyone. And so it just massively disruptive. What Tesla is doing, uh, obviously there are competitors really trying to push up against this. I think it's fascinating that Tesla didn't make the ESG cut uh, Biden didn't invite him to the energy summit, even though it's the most sold EV model in the entire world. Uh, there's clearly some uh, opposition against Tesla right now, but I think the upside potential is huge. And they're such a massive company. They're not going to get shut down. They're not going to be something that you can stop. There's just too much support for Elon and Tesla. There's too much uh, demand for it. And frankly, the competitors, they can't even make money off these cars yet. So anyway, I'm very bullish on Tesla. Uh, I'm looking at when I would want to get in. I've got some sentiment around stocks in general that I'm staying away from right now. I think we are going to see lower lows in stock prices, uh, especially going into next year. You need to hear this and hear it clear from me. Recessions start when interest rates drop. Recessions start when interest rates drop, not when they're going up. We're seeing the uh, cleaning up of our monetary policy. Well, actually, I have a whole video on this, so we'll get on that in just a second. But you need to understand that we're going into a recession, 
and it is government induced and it will happen. You'll know very clearly that we're there when interest rates start to drop. The fact that we did no rate hike is a good sign that we're at that tipping point and we should start to see deflationary measures over the next year. And all the money, all the things that we've done over from 20 to 2022 takes about a year, year and a half to kick in. All those rate hikes still haven't been priced into the market. So we're, we're not going to really see the full impact of this until like end of 2024, all the rate hikes. But you want to be watching like, what are the feds doing? Are they increasing rates, keeping rates the same or dropping rates? The first rate drop will be the greatest response to a market pullback. And so just be ready for that. The reason that we haven't seen that yet uh, is because we're not there. And there is talks about a rate hike in November. You're going to have to watch inflation data. So if inflation goes up, you can expect a rate hike in November. If you don't see inflation come up, you know, it's this landing that Jerome Powell is trying to get on is getting more narrow. The air, the air pad is getting narrower and less wide. You know, it's, there's not as much room for a soft landing as there was, uh, but it's still possible. And he even has said that in uh, recent uh, press conferences. So that's where we are from an econo economic standpoint. Tesla, I think, is a great buy. I'm not buying it now. I think prices are going to drop a little bit and it's going to be more market-based than it is value-based in the company. So I, you might start buying it, it down. That is a strategy, especially if you don't have the time to watch it every day. So you might buy some now and then have a, a target price later. And maybe what I'll do is put Tesla up on a chart so you guys can kind of see like, how would I buy this down? Over what period of time would I buy more and buy more? Um, Long-term though, very bullish. I mean, you can see where Tesla's going and you want to be in a, a company and in a stock that long-term has insane upside. And I think Tesla is one of those companies. All right, so let's go back. <clears throat> let's go back to my agenda here. I've got one more thing I want to bring up. Oh, right, Ray Dalio. I think we've got enough time to cover this. Trying to think how I want to do this. I could try to talk about it, or I could show you this video, or I could show you the video and then kind of break off of uh, what was said about the video. Let me, I'm going to just show you the article. Let me show you the article. So Ray Dalio did a post on LinkedIn and it was called The Greatest Wealth Transfer of All Time. And as you guys know, Ray Dalio is one of the smartest, probably most diverse macro economists on the planet, one of the most successful hedge fund managers, manages one of the largest hedge funds in the world. And he's got something to say about this. And I think he's right on. So let me let me just show you this article rather than a video. And then I'll kind of break it down to you just because we are uh, lacking a little bit of time on this. Let me bring this up. All right, here we go. So this is just an article that Yahoo Finance did. By the way, all you have to type in if you want to do a deep dive on this. And I, I actually have a video that I'm, I should have out in the next three or four days that is a complete summary of what Ray Dalio said. But uh, I already did the recording. It's just in editing right now. But Yahoo Finance did this. If you type in Ray Dalio Wealth Transfer, you will see hundreds of articles on this. When Ray Dalio came out on this, he... Hit, I mean, he really just hit the nail right on the head. And what the topic is about, as it says here, is billionaire Ray Dalio says 
The 73 trillion great wealth transfer isn't just from boomers to millennials. It's from government to you and me. And so this whole article goes into this, but let me help you dissect like what he's talking about. So 2020 to 2022, we had some of the largest stimulus uh, programs that our government put out in the history of time. And typically uh, wealth transfers happen in the private sector, right? Meaning that, you know, like during the Great uh, the Great Depression, we had the like the largest wealth redistribution of all time historically in this country. And what I mean by that is the depression knocked everyone down so much that when people got the opportunity to build back up, the playing field was a lot more level. Well, this isn't a transfer like that, although I think that is somewhat coming uh, once we go into a recession, it does, it actually does create those opportunities where there is a redistribution of wealth, but that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is a distribution of wealth from government to people and stimulus checks and money that went to businesses, money that went literally in the form of a check to every person in this country over the age of 18 or older uh, actually was a wealth transfer from government to private. And although we're all grateful for it, and it had that not happened, we would it, we would right now be in a very, very deep recession. Had we not sent out stimulus, had we not done all of these programs, we since COVID, we would have stayed at that low and we probably would be in a decline in a recession trying to manage this. But because we stimulated the economy, people had money, People spent in the system, the money got circulated, it kept GDP up, and we're hoping to have a soft landing after all of this inflation that it created. Now, one of the big problems that Ray talks about is this transfer of wealth came from the government. Because we printed that money and then had to issue more bonds, we had to go out and get more debt to cover the value, to cover the money. And we had to go, we had to stop buying our own debt because we were raising rates. The government's wallet is actually hurting more than the private sector. It's kind of this bizarre thing that we, you know, the, the public just really doesn't care. The public's like, well, as long as I'm doing good, it's fine. Well, this is a bigger problem, in my opinion and in Ray's opinion. The, the, the problem is that if the government's purse is hurting more than the private sector, the long-term effect of that is going to be catastrophic. I mean, it's going to be immense. And what's happened is the government's purse is weak. And it, for those of you who haven't followed this, we've gone from AAA ratings to AAA minus ratings to now we're at an AA plus. We've come off, guys, I don't know if you know this, but Finch Ratings has downgraded the US government, our bonds, to an AA plus rating. Now that might sound really great because in school, if you got an A, you're happy, right? Well, the way that we grade uh, financial things is through three letters and three A's is better than two. Two A's is better than one. And then we go into B's, okay? Well, to go from a triple A rating to a double A rating is a huge deal. And what it means is that the strength, the financial strength, of our economy, US economy has been downgraded. And so if you are a global investor, if you are a global company, if you're 
looking at the macroeconomic side of things, you're going, well, who's strong? You're going to be looking at AAA rating places to, you know, maybe own the Swiss franc or to own the dinar or, you know, whatever it is that happens to have a AAA rating versus a AA. And your money's actually because of rating, although these ratings, some will argue that these, these credit companies, the Finch uh, rating scales, they don't know what they're doing. They're three-year lag uh, is the argument that I've heard. But regardless, we're there, they've downgraded, and the dollar is taking the hit. And our government is the purse that's actually hurting the most. And we don't have the money. To, there's no room for another pandemic. There's no room for more stimulus. And so Ray Dalio makes an argument in this that, and in fact, he creates, uh, he points out four things that we need to do in order to fix this problem. And one of them is spending. He says, we, we still need to be printing, right? And as long as we keep inflation around 2%, printing is okay, but we need to be more cautious around how much we're printing. We need to start pulling this back. And these deficits that we're hitting, there's already talks that the government's gonna run out of money again this year. I mean, it's mind blowing that like we've already spent up to the ceiling and now we're, we're talking about already going into another that we can't fulfill on our debts. Our, by the way, our debt service, our cost to service our debt to our lenders, people who, are, who have bought bonds is higher than our military spend every year, which is billions, almost a trillion dollars a year in debt service. And so we have this massive problem, this, this you know, I call it cloud coverage. It's sitting over our country right now, specifically our government. And what we're going to see is it's, it's going to be the 80s all over again, guys. High interest rates for longer until the government can start to clean things up. And frankly, if, if we don't see shifts politically to start bringing down the deficit, to start managing our funds better, just to stop. I don't know how many of you guys heard about this, but there's been... There's been accusations that none of it's been proven yet, but there's been accusations that there are people in the White House issuing billions, signing billions of dollars in government spending that didn't even have the authority to do it. In fact, I, I think the number was around $80 billion in the last year that was spent under this administration, signed by people who didn't even have the authority to issue those grants and issue that money uh, towards special interest projects. And so... We are just spending like crazy and the policing, the accountability around it, the fact that these people can write checks and don't even have the authority. It's like, what is going on here? Like, how are, how are we doing this? So we clearly have to clean things up. Ray Dalio is talking about it because he sees things globally. And for about 10 years, I've been following his, his research for about 10 years. 10 years ago, he was talking about how we are in one of the last cycles of our government-denominated dollar. And if we don't clean things up, we, we may not live to, to see the, to not like weather the last stage of this. We might actually see the end of it, where he calls it a debt spiral, where we actually end up going into a debt spiral. And then it's kind of a game over situation where we end up being like Japan and our GDP to the average person that we have in this country is just astronomical. The number is just astronomical. And so we don't want to be Japan, um, but we, we want to stay competitive with China, with Russia and these other global emerging powers, uh, especially if you like the comforts that you enjoy. 
because a lot of that is built around macroeconomics and frankly, the dollar. And the BRICS, as you guys have heard, is putting a lot of pressure on that right now. But um, yeah, there's kind of that summary. If you guys want, you can wait for my video to come out to get the full summarization. My channel's on YouTube. Uh, that's where I host and keep all those. I, I would imagine most of you are subscribed to the Market Pulse with Matt uh, channel on YouTube, so you can get that on there. But this will be coming out in the next uh, couple of days. And I give a full outline of like the four bullet points and really raise uh, his solution for this. He'll never run for politics. Smart people never really do. But I think his advice towards our politicians uh, is worthy. So there you go. There's Ray Dalio's insight. Um, if I were to take a kind of a glance back and say, what's the opportunity here? Opportunity is going to be in, I hate saying this, but opportunity is going to be in outside U.S. assets, outside U.S. securities. This is a long-term outlook on like, maybe you should stop looking at investing in things in the U.S. And that is a very unpatriotic thing to say, but until our politicians get their head screwed on and until you and I start to put pressure on them to get this turned over, I frankly, U.S. assets don't look very strong long-term. And I'm talking 20, 30 years from now. Uh, short-term bonds though, by the way, if we're looking at like macroeconomics, short-term bonds are a good play right now. And guys like Harry Dent, I don't know if you guys have heard of Harry Dent, you know, he goes on these rants and he's talking about how we're heading into like one of the largest depressions of our, of our lifetime. Uh, Harry Dent talks about how, you know, equity stocks aren't really a great play. He, he's predicting at least a 30% drop uh, in the S&P 500 and he's got his price points when he wants to buy back in. But bonds are a great play. And why as we start to go neutral or down in rates, bonds are incredible plays. Because every time interest rates drop, the value of your bond goes up uh, by almost two points. So a two percentage at percent. So a one and a half to two percent rise in a quarter point drop is very significant. And frankly, banks, insurance companies, they have to be buying these. And so that's what creates the demand on a higher rate uh, bond versus one that starts to low as we lower interest rates to uh, to bring QE into the system. So. There's my take on Ray Dalio. Let me see where we're at on our agenda. Oh, trade. Yeah, I think that's good. Let's, we're right there on time. Let's go back into my charts. I just want to summarize this gold trade again. And in fact, one of the things I'll do for you guys that I don't normally do, and we're actually, I'm working with green chart right now. We've talked about this, but we're working on this doing something similar to these guys, but I love TradingView. TradingView has this thing that they do on uh, prices. And I'm gonna just get you guys this really quick. Come on. I'm gonna show you their indicator analysis. And this will give you also a technical uh, forecast. So if you go to TradingView, I love this. This is like out of TradingView's features, this is probably one of my favorite features that they actually offer. Not a solicitation. I do not get paid by TradingView. But if you pull up gold just on an analysis, you can see from an oscillator standpoint, we're in a buy. Uh, total summary, so which would be moving averages, we're in a buy. And this is set on a day. So this would be like 
over the next 30 days, this is kind of your set. If you're to do a week, things kind of go more neutral, even though the moving averages are high. Then if you go monthly, we're into a, a very strong buy on your moving averages and a little bit stronger on like your summary. So it pulls in all the oscillators, all the moving averages, and then totals them in kind of this gas gauge. And so I, I like this because it gives you a, a very strong overview on a technical analysis, like the summation of a bunch of oscillators and a bunch of moving averages. Where is this technically? Fundamentally, I'm there. You guys know my feelings on this fundamentally, but technically we're there too. And so on a weekly, monthly, and daily, there's nothing here that says sell. There's a little that says neutral, but overall, it's all at least into a buy. And we're seeing that breakout's going to happen. And so anytime I'm like looking at technicals, indicators, and I'm looking at like uh, support and resistance levels, linear and nonlinear, this is a really great tool to go, oh, I've got a really strong confirmation that multiple technicals are also saying this is a buy. And so uh, without going back into the charts, I would say this is really a great summation or uh, additional value to look at like, why would I be doing gold? And if there's anything else, by the way, let's just look, let's pull up Tesla really quick. I think that's on my list here. Uh, not on this list, but, but let me show you Tesla also. That, and this is only a technical. What we just did was what's called a fundamental review. So we just did a, a fundamental on Tesla. But when you're trading, you kind of want to see both. You want to see both the um, fundamental, but also the technicals. So right now, it's not great. There's really not much going on on the day with Tesla. Whoa, on a week, we're getting there. The oscillators aren't great, but moving averages are high. And then a month, which is more long-term, which is, by the way, if you're going to buy the stock and you're thinking 2025, right, this is going to be more of the indicator uh, technical indicator that you're looking at. And so look, guys, we got strong fundamental buys. We got strong technical buys. You could be going in on this now and you're probably, even in a dip, when a recession hits and things start to drop out, even in a circumstance like that, this is still showing long-term, it's probably gonna be a good hold. So as long as it's not something that's gonna be paying your bills over the next couple of years, this is probably a really great buy opportunity. And you can always buy it down. Right, say I'm going to put ten thousand dollars into Tesla, but right now I'm only going to put in thirty-three percent of that. So I'm going to put in thirty-three hundred dollars today, and then when it drops down to this price, put another three thirty-three hundred. And then when it drops down to this price, I'll end it, I'll finish it up. And then if it never hits that price, you're still in. And then when it comes back up and it hits that price again, you can finish up, round it in, and then you know, obviously we're hoping Tesla goes to the moon. Uh, and things can happen. Acts of God can happen, but I think they're positioned very well. Uh, for growth in the upcoming years. All right, guys. Well, that is it uh, for today's Market Pulse summary. Thanks for being on my Market Pulse followers. We'll see you same time, same place next week with Nina Jorgensen as my co-host. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on. You guys have a great weekend and uh, stay safe. Thank you.